so crafties, imagine the scene. I'm walking down Broadway toward 9th Avenue. It's colder than my wedding night. I need something to create a heat differential. So I step into this speakeasy. It's called Hal's or something. Aptly named, because nobody makes it out alive. So anyway, I walk down the stairs, and I come around the corner. Lady crooning on the phonograph. And then I see him leaning against the bar. Taller than King Kong and twice as good looking. He's wearing this hat that's larger than Montana with the same number of votes in the Electoral College. I walk up to the guy and says, I ain't never seen you in these parts before, but I know you're the guy I'm here to see. And he says to me, What the hell is going on here? Is this the Arena Craft Podcast? The only podcast that focuses on MTG Arena? I'm one of your hosts, Arjuna. This is Kovac Go Blue. As we will get into on this show, I don't get gangsta movies. I don't get gangsta shows. I don't get nothing. I ain't got the accent. I ain't got the terminology. I don't care about the 20s. Never happened as far as I'm concerned. I don't even know what decade I'm theoretically not in. Well, it's a good thing it's theoretical then, man. <laughs> The only 20s I understand is the 2020s. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new century, Crafty, is, and CGB is up in it. I'm Zoomer. I don't get any of this. By the way, welcome back to the show, CGB. Um, I heard that you're in California. I also happened to see you eat sushi for the first time. I've been in classic internet fashion told that was sushimi. Oh, okay, sure, sashimi. Because there's no rice makes it a different product somehow because that makes sense look you take sashimi you put it on top of rice and now you've got nigiri i don't know what that is either it's totally different bro get with the program okay fine so how was it though how was the raw fish sliding down the gullet i've been conditioned like the ninja turtles conditioned me man that pizza good sushi bad <laughs> okay yeah that's just for master splinter over there yep that's just for rats that might play into your whole gangster theme but it was fine it wasn't bad the rice was actually really good when i did finally receive fish and rice together it was a pretty good place i guess a, i don't know if famous is the right word it was a place called sugarfish in beverly hills so fancy pantsy swanky thank you zan saeed for taking me and treating me to sushi at Sugarfish in Beverly Hills. I felt like everything there just smelled a little better. You mean in Beverly Hills in general or, or what? Including myself, yeah. I'm pretty sure my own odor improved just by association. Are you sure it wasn't just the smog, Kovac Blue? I wouldn't understand. C could you see the sky? That's my question. I could see the sky occasionally. Actually, the sky in California is incredibly clear compared to that all over the great north where I'm from, where we it feels like we don't see the sky for, you know, about six months. It's like all dark all the time, snow, dreary. Uh, I felt like I saw a lot of sky. You do have just a little bronzing. The audio-only folk are missing out. Maybe a, a little a gentle frosting of the tips, perhaps? Getting in that California sunshine. <laughs> yeah, Southern California is a good time, man. I've always enjoyed my times in, in L.A. and San Diego and whatnot. I'm glad you got to, you know, get out of your usual environs and have some fun, man. Sounds great. It was. It was really great. Thanks for asking about it. And you were supposed to take a trip. And we were, we were going to take trips together. This is what happened, right? I was supposed to go to Dubai. And literally the morning I'm flying out, I start feeling not so good. I flew from Portland to San Francisco. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm definitely off. So I actually take a COVID test at the airport. And what do you know? I caught the Rona. I finally succumbed to the plague. It's really surreal, too, because literally like five minutes after I got my test results back, I get this phone call <laughs> from just like some random Californian number. And I'm like, I'm probably supposed to pick this up. So I answer it. And it's like the CDC. And, you know, they're like, no, Mr. Perkins, and da, 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 da. you just tested positive for COVID. And like, there's a whole, there's a whole thing that you have to do. Basically, I wasn't allowed to fly home. I had to get a rental car. You took a test and then the CDC, like, got you on the phone? And they were like, you know, if you don't comply with these certain things in this time frame, we're going to put you on the, the like, no travel list. <laughs> There'd be like some minority report style, like, police intervention. <laughs> 
It's a bizarrely serious business. They just locked you down. They're, they're watching you, man. Yeah, dude, they're they're onto me. They got your name. They know all about you trying to go to Dubai. They know all about, you know, what the inside of my nostril looks like, apparently. I mean, the good news, it was a mild case. So basically, I didn't go to Dubai. I hunkered down for a week, and uh, I feel pretty good. Uh, that doesn't sound like a bad idea. I was wondering, I, I was getting on the plane when I found out about Ukraine being invaded. And it's like, you know, normally I can not be that terrified at crazy world events because even if stuff happened i'd be in the middle of nowhere in my cabin in the woods and i feel for other people but i'm not actively in fear most of the time oh i'm flying to the most popular city potentially in the world pretty big target on it if somebody wanted to make a statement san diego is like one of the biggest military bases in the country if a nuke drops there you're not happy you know there was a backdrop to the week in la also my editors for my daily videos are from ukraine they could take their time off like some people got after me for this because they're like you should give them time off they're at war and i'm like i they're not my employees they want to keep working they said they need the money and i had already uploaded all the content anyway i would understand if they missed a day but every day i'm like hitting refresh for evidence of life because i don't think i'd know what happened to them if they just dropped off the map so every time a video uploaded i was like they're still out there i saw a post from uh rent uh friend who's actually i don't know where he is in, in the world at the moment but he's from russia and, you know and the post was basically being like i'm not allowed to say what i want to say but you know what i want to say about this situation so yeah man it's pretty intense i mean my heart goes out to ukraine it, it's shit's getting real there basically. We have lived a relatively sheltered life over here in the United States, and uh, stuff goes down in other parts of the world, and it's going down right now. So to all of our Ukrainian crafties, my love to you, my support to you. Uh, I hope you're doing all right. It's tough. There's nothing we can say that's going to do much about it, to be honest. We're not ignoring the situation. We do care but we're also the Arena Craft Podcast, so usually the best way we can serve our audience is to provide some escape, which we're probably about due by talking about new cards, but it doesn't mean we are oblivious to the situation or that we don't care. We tend to keep it pretty on topic on the podcast, but you know, we're, we're thinking about this stuff just like y'all are. It's an interesting time to be alive. With that said, yes, let's talk about The Happy Place, which is magic. And we're like two weeks into a new format, which is just a perfect time for them to start previewing the next set. Someone at Wizards just figured out that this was a really good idea. So here we are. We had like our first sneak preview of New Capenna. A lot of people are really stoked about this set. Personally, I really enjoy the aesthetic. Uh, I love Art Deco. I love the 20s. I got all fancied up for this show because I just wanted to look a little bit more in the setting, as it were. All right, help drag me in because I am mega cynical on this. I have never been that into the gangsta movies. I don't know what an art deco means. You could educate me and fools like me or like help drag me into the hype a little bit i don't know have you ever been into like detective movies or novels at all you're talking like film noir yeah like dick tracy all that kind of stuff i think i liked dick tracy when i was eight maybe nine i can't remember exactly how old i was but i thought the blank was the creepiest thing i'd ever seen the blank in dick tracy in the movie there was the character the blank who spoiler alert if you haven't seen it in like 30 some years i think turns out to be madonna all right there you go i uh, yeah it's been too long can i interest you in who framed roger rabbit yeah because of a certain animated character a certain animated woman had yeah jessica had certain kind of curves yeah Oh, Jessica Rabbit, the hottest cartoon in the world at the time. Yes, I do. Jessica Rabbit versus Lola Bunny, which says a lot about animated mammals. Indeed it does. And uh, animated memories. So, you know, now you're kind of starting to get the feel, right? It was a cool setting. Okay, yeah, there's kind of that caper thing. Why is it so romanticized? Is it like steampunk and just a different aesthetic that's been kind of lost by our world? It was like modernism at a time when modernism was like super exciting. 
everything. If you think about how like automobiles were just becoming kind of mainstream, beautiful futuristic trains, they were building skyscrapers and stuff. It, it was like modern urbanization was happening. There was just like a lot of cool stuff happening, basically. You know, post-war, there was a lot of stuff going on post-World War One. People were flying in airplanes, which is a thing you couldn't really have done before. The whole world, I think, was just thinking in a very futuristic way. It's kind of interesting because when you look at aesthetics today, when people want to talk about futurism and stuff, they still often look back to that time for reference material. So a perfect example, we we're talking about Minority Report. You'll notice like all over that film, there are like these kind of like subtle references. Like for example, that super sexy futuristic car that whatever, you know, the main character ends up driving at one point. That's like a throwback to like some old 30s car or whatever. So Art Deco in particular is really, really cool. It was an architecture style, but it was really a whole aesthetic style. Fonts, you had clothes, you had like interior design, you had exterior design. It's a really cool style. I recommend Crafties if you don't know about it to read up on it. I'm not like an expert or anything, but they were pulling in all of these cool stuff. There was like a bunch of Egyptian stuff, ancient Egyptian stuff styles that were being pulled in to Art Deco. I just think it's beautiful. Everything about it is compelling and beautiful to me. So yeah, I think the setting is really exciting. Okay, think like less Goodfellas, more Dick Tracy. I think that's what we're going for. The Great Gatsby. That's what we're talking about, man. It's basically like magic meets The Great Gatsby. Okay, Roaring Twenties. Let's go. I need to be sold on the magic cards because I have all kinds of nitpicks so far with what they've even shown me. I might have to be drag kicking and screaming and part of it's because I'm coming from something that was so right up my alley, which is, you know, magic going anime. I, I think this is going to be a challenge for me. You literally had a Venn diagram of magic, the 80s and anime, which is your entire brand. <laughs> we could see that. I think I'm under the surface responsible for <laughs> Neon Dynasty complete. I think they were just watching my stream like, He's on to something. You and the Asian Avenger made that happen. Mm, I'd share credit, but that's off-brand. Anyway, well, I I'm super stoked, and uh, I know a lot of other people are too. It it's like two aesthetic bangers in a row, you know? We have this, like, futuristic Neo-Tokyo thing going on, and then we have this kind of looking back to the Roaring Twenties thing. It's a good time aesthetically for magic. I'm glad that they're leaning into it. So let's talk about the cards that were spoiled. Do you want to go with the lands or the only other card first? What do you want to talk about? We have basic lands, we have non-basic lands, and we have a card to talk about. And as you can tell, we're still going to have no problem filling up at least an hour of your time because we're 18 minutes in without talking about the cards yet. Let's go to basic land art appreciation moments. It is gorgeous. Which out of these new lands is the most gripping to you, CGB. I'm gonna go straight to the complaint equity section. <laughs> Are you still jet lagged or something? Well, I feel like we get irascible CGB today. No, this is fine. Let's be real. Who actually ever complains about magic? It's fine. <laughs> yeah, nothing more off-brand than that, right? There's a lot of like in the city kind of thing and like the forest is all very much takes place in the city, kind of like a welcome to the urban jungle type of thing. And I can get into that, but it is kind of weird that's right after Neon Dynasty where a forest was literally one tree in the middle of a city. Explain to me where the plains is in the plains, because I see a tower and zeppelins and I see a train station. The artist just got the wrong memo. They said, trains not planes and here we are where's the planes dude there's no grass in new capanna this isn't nebraska trains they kind of give you some sense of you know the vast expanse of the openness look there's plenty of white in the art what do you want from me it's not that it's not pretty it's that there's no planes in the planes i've been singing since you know kindergarten or whatever the fruited planes america america where's my iowa landscapes can I interest you in these amazing mountains? If ever there was a cool interpretation of a mountain, look at these freaking red Art Deco skyscrapers. Are they not just incredible? I think this is the coolest thing ever. This red skyscraper minimalist Art Deco mountain might be one of the coolest arts I've ever seen in my life. If there is anybody on this planet who couldn't be less into a mountain, <laughs> it's gotta be me. You were dissing on the forests, but I think these forests are actually really cool as well. Oh, they're fine. 
this is yeah clearly not your aesthetic and clearly is mine i just i think everything about this is just gorgeous and amazing the swamps leave a little bit to be desired for me oh i like the swamp actually Nah, I'm kind of not feeling it. The flooded basement swamp? The flooded basement one's good. The other one that just looks like some storm drain in the middle of the city or whatever. Ew, gross. I could feel it more, to tell you the truth. You gotta love this island with this, whatever this is, like waterfall art. Surprise, the islands are good. We squeezed about as much content as we possibly could out of the basic lands. Let's talk about what's actually going to be the most important cards printed in this set. And this is the Triomes. The triomes return, crafties. They're not triomes. They're trilands. Okay. And I'm sick of people going around being like, it's a triome. Uh, nobody cares what an iome is. We get diomes every set. Nope. <laughs> no, forget that crap. I don't want to talk about triomes. These are trilands. They they specifically said trilands. Yeah, because they didn't want to name them triomes for some reason. They're not called triomes. That was an Ikoria thing. This is not Ikoria. I'll give you about two days into the release before you start calling them triomes. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> this time we have the allied colors. So let's go through them. We have Esper, which is blue, black, and white. We have Naya, which is red, green, and white. Bant, which is green, white, and blue. We have Grixis, which is red, black, and blue. And then finally we have Jund, black, red, and green. Wizards keeps trying to rebrand these three color pairs into different names, and no one's having it. This is clearly Jetmer's Garden. Not Naya Triome. <laughs> Clan Jetmere, bro. I'm gonna get a Jetmere tattoo. Okay, they do have names. Tell me what's better. S or Obscura. I don't like, I forgot that the moment I read it. It's, it's already out of my brain. Would you prefer Grixis or Maestros? <laughs> I'm over it, dude. I can barely remember those old ones as it stands. We're bringing the information to the people, so we're gonna continue this. Was it from Khans? that these names came from? Oh, these are from Alara. Riveteers, huh? Does that, is that not Jund? Rosie the Riveteer. Oh my God, I guess so. Okay, tell me what colors come to mind where I say Gabaretti, <laughs> Um, pizza? So what colors would be pizza? If pizza were colors, I actually think this works. <laughs> Red, green, and white? Yeah, it's Naya, Gabaretti. You know what's funny? I actually wasn't even looking at the cards, so nailed it. This is the part where I think we just cross into pure lame. Brokers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's got to be Espa, right? Nobody brokers than you. No, it's Bant. <laughs> Nobody brokers than you are right now. <laughs> As this podcast's eminent control mage, are you not just completely stoked to have not only an Espa triome, but also a Bant triome? You know what's weird about me? I'm going to be honest. I don't like three colors. I'm always trying to make it work with two. I avoid branching into that third color really hard. You just are a three color person or you're not, but I do have evidence, internet undisputable evidence that two colors are more popular, that there are more two color people than three color people. I can usually expect about 10K less views on a three color video than a two color one. People don't want to spend the wild cards, dude. They're over it. It's a purely economic thing, man. Really? You need to add a, an additional lobe to your brain for each color that you play. Come on, there's a reason why Mono White's the most popular deck ever, right? <laughs> mono Aggro, yeah! Yeah, yeah, you're right about these things, actually, I'm sure. It has a lot to do with it. These lands, though, these not-triome lands, like, they don't even... They're not called, like, Broker's Triome, you know? They're not called Cabaretti Lounge. They're... They've got names on them instead, which is kind of weird. So you can start with the Naya one here. It's Jetmer's Garden. Who's Jetmer? Nobody knows. It's a mystery. It's probably like freaking a Johnny in New Capenna speak. What I've heard is, I've only heard it from Twitch chat, so most reliable content on the internet. Every single one of these families is run by a demon, which doesn't make any sense to me that a Bant family would be run by a demon. Yeah, do they even make demons in those colors? Without black or red? In theory, there's like a demon lord to each of these crime families, and that is who this might be named after. The Naya one is Jetmir's Garden. Esper is Raphine's Tower. All up in the Ivory Tower looking down on people, that's Esper. Spara's Headquarters is 
like this weird looking thing with a whole bunch of safety hazards because it looks like there's just holes in the floor all over the place. And this is Bant. I, I can't get Bant lawyers having this many safety hazards in their office. Have you ever met a lawyer? Isn't that kind of magic signature is no guardrails anywhere? Wasn't that like a joke in Ravnica? The flavor text on Affectionate Indrik reads something about like Ravnica's lack of guardrails. How about Xander's Lounge, man? Do you want to sip a whiskey up in Xander's Lounge? Magic the Gathering and we have a nightclub as a setting? You get three colors of mana out of this nightclub? <gasps> Whatever it takes. That's a beautiful Grixis land. Nightclubs are well staffed. You've got the dancers, you've got the servers. Sounds pretty nice to me. I mean, I'd go to a Grixis nightclub. Drink one of those patented CGB fruity drinks. I don't know. What kind of drinks do you, th you think they serve at a, a Grixis nightclub? Straight bourbon. Bourbon and blood. Something intense. But my favorite by far is Ziatora's Proving Ground. Why? Because it's UFC. Because it's WWE. That's why. Clearly a wrestling ring in the middle of it. In our Magic the Gathering lore. WWE Secret Lair when it's just a matter of time now baby so now this is what you need to do cgb you need to tell us who are the five wwe legends that are going to be immortalized in the secret lair god that's actually kind of tough we're talking about a lot of history and you need to appeal to so many people you want to hit the different colors so like the undertaker's automatic right yeah you have to have that in there i don't see how you go without hulk hogan White and red, maybe? Brett the Hitman Heart would probably be racked. Maybe Demir. <laughs> I don't know, man. But you gotta have Stone Cold and The Rock. And The Rock has to be green and black. And Stone Cold could definitely be, like, black and white, I guess, are his main colors. But... WWE would never do this with only legends. They'd have to have somebody current so that you'd have someone to tune in to see because they're actually better right now at making women stars than men stars. You might have to get like Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, Sasha Banks would be an excellent one. You can have tag teams. So maybe you get multiple people into one card. Little partner commander action. Okay, I'm feeling it. I tuned everybody out for the last two minutes. I probably ruined the arena craft audience. Hopefully Bottle Brush found some great images of Sasha Sasha Banks to entertain you and keep you engaged with the video, at least. This is what magic is these days. It's pure meme. Let's talk a little bit about what happens to a metagame CGB when we have three color lands. What do we have to start thinking about? One thing that you have to check is the power of the monocolored aggro decks so that you don't have time for like a ton of tap lands. And the monocolored aggro decks are doing okay. That test is already passed. We're not going to have time to play tap land, tap land, tap land and expect to win a game. That's part of it. But then the other part is there becomes a lot of situations where adding your fourth color isn't really a stretch for anything. I'm thinking of the Dance of the Man stacks that just splash binding is their only black card and Diorium piles and things like that. It was basically free. It wasn't hard to get it in there with Pathways and all the other lands that existed and the Pathways were like the last piece. It's going to be interesting because every game you're going to want to go tapped Tri-Land, untapped Pathway, then untapped Chill Land. That's the perfect curve right there. Potentially, you have options among seven potential unique color combinations, right? Because the Pathway, the two for that, three for that. You can cast whatever you want. It depends what people want to cast. Is it powerful enough to step outside your family? I imagine the families are going to be super supported. You're going to really want to live in these three colors for specific upgrades. I don't know if you're going to need to splash from another color on top of that. It depends on the quality of cards introduced for the families. If the families are better than everything else going in standard, you don't need a, another color for anything. If there's only a couple of mega playable cards in the family, maybe suddenly your Grixis deck should have Vanishing Verse and that's a totally doable thing. One of the things you have to look out for is power level of the cards. I think it was Ravnica where they printed those CCDD cards that really incentivized you to be in a particular Ravnica guild. Uh, the one I'm thinking of is Kaya's Wrath. It's like white, white, black, black to destroy all creatures. Yeah. Yep. Oh, there was also the Drake that still sees play in Historic. Crackling Drake that ended up being an evergreen card from that set. It kind of depends on whether we start seeing like these three color, like really compelling overpowered cards. You know, people are speculating we might see some more ultimatums. I think that ultimatum is very gangsta. Like, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. 
You can accept this ultimatum right here. This ultimatum right here is very expensive, but it gives me a lot of power and make you very sad. It's that high risk, high reward gangster lifestyle. So here's my question to you. Can we come up with what all of these ultimatums would be? If you want to spitball it, I'd spitball it. I have no idea. So John the ultimatum, I'm just going to throw it right out there. It's going to be uh, deal five damage to any target, return a creature from your graveyard or a graveyard to the battlefield. Creatures you control get plus two plus two and gain trample and haste until end of turn. Are, these are seven mana ultimatums. Why would you need to get something back if you're effectively ending the game? <laughs> Well, that's it. You get it back from the graveyard, and then it gets haste and plus two, plus two, and trample. Boom. Oh, it adds it to the battlefield. Okay. That's a pretty game-ending move right there. I'm tossing Grixis Ultimatum. Well, actually, we already have a Grixis Ultimatum, right? Cruel Ultimatum. Cruel Ultimatum. Actually, weren't all the Ultimatums introduced back then? It's just Cruel Ultimatum was the playable one. So maybe we already have Ultimatums in all of these colors. It won't be called Cruel Ultimatum. It'll be called Xander's Ultimatum. Xander's Contract. Spara's Request. <laughs> Stuff like that. I think you laid out a pretty good Ultimatum. I honestly am not sure how I would design one. I would probably just rehash ones I've already done, so I don't have a lot to add, to be honest. I don't think I'd do a good job spitballing ultimatums. Fired! One thing that's kind of sexy, I'm just thinking about that artifact that lets you play cards that you discarded. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's the two-mana artifact that they just printed. Yeah, it's like a two-mana two-one, and whenever you discard a card... You may play it this turn. So you're thinking I'm going to cycle Xander's Lounge and then play it? Yeah, cycle a Triome, put it into play. Doesn't seem like the worst, huh? That That's your turn three. No, turn four, actually, because you can't play it if you already hit your land drops. That's like a sad robot, basically, is what you just did. That's what I'm talking about, man. Sounds great to me. You built your own solemn simulacrum. You'll be real solemn after you take that turn sequence. But these are the kind of things you're going to be able to do, so that's really sweet. The triomes, basically, we're going to see a lot of three and four color nonsense. We'll probably see some extreme content creators like Ali Eldrazi playing all of these random five color decks, and they're going to be really fun. Kami's War should probably get a chance, which is interesting. How about Restoration of a Ganjo, which I think is just a better version of what you were just proposing, where you can discard a card to just... Just ramp, get a uh, permanent mana value two or less directly onto the battlefield. At least that would actually ramp you. Any ramp that puts lands directly onto the battlefield is going to be really premium. So they're not going to give us a growth spiral, but something like that is going to be really good. It always felt really good if you went growth spiral triome into Uro triome. And you just felt like you were on top of the world at that point. This card isn't very good, but Azusa's Many Journeys, just like any card that actually lets you put more lands onto the battlefield, works really well with tap lands. And, you know, these are really high value tap lands. Do you remember when Binding the Old Gods would get you a Triome? Oh, it was so beautiful. And it will again! Because, yeah, we didn't mention this. These actually have the basic land types. They are not basic lands, but they have the types. So if something says fetch a swamp, but it doesn't say fetch a basic swamp, you'll be able to get three of these. Just keep that in mind, crafties. Binding the old gods not getting any worse in this set. Boseju who shelters all is going to let your opponent fetch some of these babies. And they thought about that, right? They didn't want you to be able to blow up your opponent's triome and have them only get a basic. So you might actually be fixing your opponent if you do this. So keep an eye on that. But overall, these are very exciting. They're going to show up everywhere. They're going to be all over standard. They're going to be all over historic. How about the Broker's Ascendancy? They actually just out of nowhere gave us one of a cycle of cards as if to be like, here's something. Enjoy this. It's going to be a month before we talk about this again. Uh, let's read this card. Broker's Ascendancy. It is a Bant card. Green, white, blue mana for a rare enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control and a loyalty counter on each planeswalker you control. All of the Ozov tokens players are currently drooling over this card and wondering how they can Shanghai it into their deck. But outside of that, what do you think about this card, CGB? I'm not that impressed with this card. I've thought about it a bit. And the beginning of your end step, we, we kind of learned how less effective that is for plus one, plus one counters 
from the Luminar Cast Pirate in Alchemy. And it really was a pretty big nerf because on the end step, now that it's got to be there for a full turn cycle, the opponent can respond to it. You didn't get much out of the counter. And then the other part is loyalty. And loyalty on the end step is almost less useful because the opponent knows exactly what they have to do to get rid of your planeswalker and get rid of it most of the time if they don't kill a planeswalker it feels like the game starts to snowball anyway regardless of where the loyalty lies this makes it a little harder to kill for exaxes we'll see if that's relevant but you don't get to activate the ability until the next turn it's not like it ramped you in the ability of your planeswalkers minus that's a rough place for an enchantment to be particularly because the floor on this card becomes really bad where you play it and you have nothing to put a counter on or the only thing you put counter on dies. Obviously, decks that are going to want this card are like Super Friend decks where you have a lot of Planeswalkers that spit out tokens. Good examples would be like the Elspeth that we had in uh, Theros Beyond Death. We have the Wandering Emperor, so maybe we could see some kind of a deck like that showing up. That's awkward too, because do you want to play the Wandering Emperor on your turn to get the counter or do you do it on their turn? It is an interesting choice. So you might not see any benefit from this card until turn five, which is kind of interesting. I do kind of like the idea, like you play this on three, and then on four, you flash in the emperor, make a creature. It's still right, it's the end step. So at the end of your next turn, you could potentially have like a four, four or whatever. So yeah, you're right. It's actually not, it's not that great. We'll see how it plays out. It's going to have to be a certain meta for this card to be good and a certain deck style to be good. However, there are a lot of token decks running around. I mean, Wedding Announcement is a heavily played card. Maybe you like chuck a couple of these in your Wedding Announcement. Storm the Festival deck? Oh, baby, let's go. <laughs> now we're edging into Arjuna territory here. I, I think just play Wedding Announcement and you'll be fine. <laughs> it's a little easier to cast and a lot more value. You want this plus Wedding Announcement and Chariot. Wedding Announcement, yeah, we play Chariot, we play Felidar Retreat, okay, and then we also play the Wandering Emperor, and then we play Ren and Seven, and then Storm the Festival. It's a, it's a deck made in heaven. That's our look at New Capenna. We did manage to stretch that out into 45 minutes of content. Well done, CGB. Thank you. You did awesome, too. I'm going to give you most of the credit. Before we go out here, let's just check in on the standard meta game. You probably haven't played much standard this past week, CGB. I think I just ground ladder a little bit to secure top 1200, and I was probably playing a really bad blue-white pile. But I did... Just to kind of welcome myself back to the fold, I made a video of what I would play on ladder. It was a 50-second video designed for YouTube Shorts, but not formatted properly, so it's not in YouTube Shorts. <laughs> Good work. I don't know. I'm a boomer. What can I say? I don't get this vertical formatting. If I were going to start ladder today, which I basically am, I would play runes, black-white tokens, or Jeskai Hinata Opus. Like, those are the three things I think I would want to play. And I'm curious, how do you feel about my list of what I feel is, like, the top tier for best of one grinding? Well, the cynical part of me says shocker. I totally agree. I think that those are definitely three of the best decks in the meta game at the moment. I actually did a stream a couple of nights ago in preparation for this podcast and ended up not quite rage quitting, but basically just very, very frustrated at a format that I feel is... Uh, fairly impenetrable to kind of off-meta decks. On my stream, I've received a few messages. People worried about you. I guess you were very sad. A lot of the sad Pepe Frog emotes were used to express it. So, go off, King. Let us know. If you have something, get off your chest. Let's go. All right, CGB. The last time I was this disappointed in a standard format, if you can believe it, uh, actually, guess... Of all the horrible standard formats you've seen me suffer through, what was the one where I was the most over it? Ooh. That's a tough one, right? It's a tough one. Since we've been together, there's been some hard times. I feel like the lowest we were on a standard was shortly after Strixhaven came out, right before they made standard 2022. We were contemplating our future of historic brawl content. I'm going to say it was that adventure Throne of Eldraine meta around Strixhaven release when Strixhaven just did flat nothing to the format. You know, that's a really good guess, uh, but it was actually the Omnath. It was the Omnath times. Do you remember after they banned Oro and Omnath was still around? 
I'll never forget. It was something. So yeah, that was when I was like a limited only gamer because uh, Omnath was messing up his Staric as well and we couldn't really brawl reliably at that point. Okay, I've lived through some horrible standards, but I was always able to find off-meta decks that were fun and that did enough that I felt like I could play this to Mythic. Maybe it's not the optimal list if I wanted to like win the Pro Tour next week or whatever, but I can roll with this. Classic example, I played my Saltai Storm the Festival to like a 70% win rate. You heard it here, Storm the Festival is broken, CGB was right. I mean, I gotta shine your shoes for some of it, right? That's what I just heard. I played that list in the height of Is It Turns, CGB, in the height of Mono White's domination on the ladder, I played that list to a 70% win rate. And I was proud of that. This format, it's one of the grindiest and most frustrating formats I've ever played in my life. Let's start with these is it slash Jeskai decks. Dude, why are people still taking extra turns with Goldspan Dragon? I'm so over it. Dude, Alchemist Gambit, come on. Come on. Galvanic Iteration Alchemist Gambit. I had so many people tell me when they revealed Alchemist Gambit that it was no big deal because of Alrun's Epiphany and it was so much worse. And I'm like, but why? Because if they just don't print it and print a red rare that does anything else, cleave, gain control of like two creatures your opponent controls instead of active treasoning one. Fine card. Let's do that. No, they had to make another one that takes another turn. We can now ban Allrun's Epiphany, and this is still a thing that happens. People are not safe. Why would they do that? Why print redundancy in the worst possible mechanic? That card in particular is destined to be a feels bad because either they cast it for full retail because they have a billion treasure and a gold spend dragon or whatever and you feel bad, or they cast it for three because you're gonna die next turn. Either way, it sucks. This is one of my problems, right, is that the Hinata deck is basically just like another deck that I hate with like a bow tie. Yeah, they splashed white. Wow! Two new cards or whatever. That whole branch of the meta, I'm sick of it. All right, let's talk about Ozov. Ozov's fine. Ozov's been around forever. I think probably because I played the hell out of standard 2022. But by the time the standard rotation came around, I was already sick of these Ozov blood money decks, dude. They're good. They're great. They're strong decks. Fine. Whatever. To beat one of those decks playing anything that isn't trying to go under it is just so grindy. It's like turtle shigeki levels of grindy. Your win con can't be a permanent. It just can't be because right of oblivion and vanishing verse, it's whatever you have, it's exiled, it's gone. You can't recur it. You can't win with permanence if you're gonna play against that deck in a game longer than six or seven turns. That really puts a limit on cards that could otherwise be interesting. I'm thinking of really silly things like Faithbound Judge. <laughs> Curse the opponent, win in three turns. Sounds cool in a different format. Here, anything that's a permanent is exiled, always, because they always have another Rite of Oblivion in the graveyard or something. It's kind of lame. Let's say that you want to play like a control deck, which is something that you like to do. You've got to be ready for the freaking grind Olympics. You've got to be ready to draw like 50 cards extra over the course of the game to actually get anywhere. You have to solve every permanent type. Farewell doesn't do it because you die to the Planeswalkers. Negate doesn't do it because they'll attack you down with creatures. The way that you have to thread the needle with something like blue-white control is basically undoable. The only reason I play blue-white control is because I'm a sucker for punishment and I like to make content every day, but there is honestly not a good reason to play a blue deck that isn't also red because Goldspan Dragon has dominated the control mirror since the moment it was printed. No other card just produces this mana advantage like freaking Goldspan Dragon does, even when they deal with it. You shouldn't play blue without red if you're serious about your ladder position, which just pushes out other control decks completely. And then if those other control decks are just load up on counter spells or something to like deal with Goldspan Dragon, Black White just outgrinds them. It's nasty. This brings me to the major bone that I have to pick with the format, which is just this Naya Runes deck. Oh God. It was fun for 15 minutes. And now it's the new Snow Covered Plains Go. We didn't talk about this deck. You and I haven't sat down and talked about it. We were talking at the end of the last podcast where we talked about the week one meta. We were saying, like, green-white could have a place. If you can hear me right now, you, yes, you, out there, in the somewhere, 
if you hear the sound of my voice, put your green white enchantment deck in the dumpster. It's Naya. Like this runes deck is so much better. I still play against green white enchantments every day and I feel a little responsible myself because that's the first build I made. The Naya version adding the element of haste is so huge. It's a complete game changer. And Showdown is no slouch either. Showdown is insane with the low curve that you have and how many cards you see. Oh my god, this this deck absolutely destroys anything that tries to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with it creature-wise, unless they have pinpoint removal in the right spot, because it'll build a life-linking, trampling, vigilante thing that is better than what you have. But against control, you wrath them, you remove their stuff, you counter a thing, they just reload every time, and they hit you again with haste. If they're doing it right, they're always like sleeving up another red rune in their back pocket or a showdown of the skulls to completely rebuild them, and they're just gonna boom! Left hook. Every time you hit them with the right and clean the board, left hook coming at you, hits you again. It feels helpless, Arjuna. This is like the Tima adventure deck all over again. It's one of those decks where it feels like nothing you do can really answer it. Because they always have more cards than you, and they always rebuild stronger. I think it's faster, though, than the Teamer deck was. It's like a Teamer adventure deck with a plausible beatdown plan. And lifelink. They have four lifelinking creatures and four lifelinking runes, which means they pretty much always have lifelink online. They also run four trampling creatures and four trampling runes, which means they pretty much always have trample online as well. Haste, lifelink, and trample, that is a holy trap for not losing games of magic. Four copies of Showdown of the Scalds, four copies of Commune with Spirits, four copies of Roomforge Champion. They always have the ability they need when they need it. The consistency of this thing is kind of ridiculous. It's legitimately silly how often they can do exactly what they want to do. You find yourself in these spots where I wrath the board or I use a removal spell on the one big thing. As long as they don't have X, I'm okay. They always have X, and not in the traditional arena is rigged sense. Like, they dig for it. They always have it up their sleeve because they see so much of their deck every game, so much more than you do. I'm playing a control deck with a ton of card draw, and they are usually, like, beating me with, like, 20 cards left in their library, and I've still got, like, 40. It's insulting, man. It hurts my soul. I think one of the most devastating play patterns of the deck, which again reminds me a lot of Teamer Adventure, when they have a champion out and they have a Jukai Naturalist out and then they slam the showdown of the Scalds and they just get to play all of their spells for free. Can we take a minute to appreciate that Runeforge Champion isn't a typical cost reduction where things cost one less? No, it lets you pay generic one instead of cost. It's a replacement. So when you combine Runeforge Champion with the Jukai Naturalist, you're runes cost zero nothing and they draw a card does that sound busted yes why in fact that is in fact busted because if they draw five or six runes in a row their creatures just go and their board just goes poosh because they have all these things that trigger they've got the the spirit that gives a plus one plus one for every enchantment that hits the battlefield and they've got the showdown of the skulls chapters two and three the first time i figured out it worked that way i was mid video oh god <laughs> this is what is missing. This is why green-white enchantments is not a deck. It is an IQ test that shows you didn't keep up with videos for the last week. That's what it is. <laughs> it, you took a vacation. You went on a spring break or something, and you didn't know what was going on. Green-white is dead. Like, the Naya thing is beyond worth it. It's the way. People have been trying to build busted Runeforge champion decks ever since the card came out. I remember the Goldspan Dragon deck, which was kind of doing the same thing. So the potential was always there. This is like the perfect storm of cards that make that card really good. The deck has so much redundancy. Like you were just saying, it has multiple cards that do the same thing that are all really, really, really good. It's not that the deck's not beatable. It's just that sitting down in this chair right here and trying to build a deck which isn't one of those three decks which has game against all of those decks is a freaking nightmare. And Simic ain't getting any better over here. <laughs> 
strap in for it, man, because I've still got to do a deck a day for another month or so. I don't know how you do it. I'm scared. <laughs> Best of one just makes these decks look so good. Oh my god, like, just whatever the magic algorithm sauce, it just makes these Naya Runes decks so consistent and perfect and beautiful. Playing Best of one is just purgatorial at the moment, in my opinion. Follow me on YouTube. Hit subscribe. We'll see what we can do about all this. I'm still over here trying to be like, I wonder if I can build an interesting deck with every card in the invoke cycle. Oh, baby. I'm sure that's going to go really well. You got to get those freaking triomes, man. I will say that the only decks that I've messed around with that are not those decks that have felt like they have some kind of a future, a Turtle Shigeki decks. The amount of grind and go over the top e-ness and like power that you need to really keep up with the rest of these decks is like insane. My typical like I cast on the festival, put 10 mana worth of permanence in play on turn five pattern is not enough. That's kind of how I was aiming to go over the top in the past. But my opponent has like a 12-12 lifelink haste trampler. It's not good enough. So you had that really cool, what was a brilliant restoration deck that was your go over the top plan. I've been messing around some more with these like, Spirit Sisters saga decks that also do the Turtle Shigeki thing. I've seen Chris Patello messing around with, I think it was like a Saltai list perhaps. I saw his list online. A great show last week, by the way. Forgot to say anything, but was really excited to get to listen to that out in California. Chris is a, he's a legend for sure. It's really great to have him on the show. That's one of the ways that you're going to be able to hopefully get enough grind and enough raw cardboard to just fight your way through all of these other decks in the format. This is why I'm feeling so depressed because I feel like I have gazed into the future and I'm not seeing it. There's probably at least one really sweet deck in there somewhere that I've missed and all the other content creators have managed to miss at the moment. It's a daunting metagame, frankly, how I'm going to put it. I just think the amount of problems you have to solve, especially if you want to play any kind of a reactive deck, is just astronomical. I was having a very interesting time solving for the black white in the is it meta i was actually creating a bunch of aggro decks that were doing okay vampires with soul ripper was kind of a really good deck i thought um various burn decks that impressed me including the red invoke card in burn was very very fun and then like none of it can beat runes not even close they do a lifelinky thingy majig i think i played jasper sentinel magda goldspan dragon on turn three against that deck and got handled by their runeforge champion i've been playing turn three cat chariot on the play and it's like a pea shoot it's not even remotely good enough they're just laughing at us for ramping into chariot and goldspan we said Kaldheim was still the backbone of this format. The runes are from Kaldheim, oddly. And so is Showdown, right? These enchantment synergies are kind of insane. Actually, I think you raise a really good point. You know how we had like these successive waves of bands in the Eldraine format? We had these waves of remembering how good Eldraine was. Oh, okay, well, now that Oko's gone, like, this Embercleave card's really good. Oh, okay, now, like, we've got this uh, Great Henge card. Wow, that's really good. We kept discovering how good that set was, and I think the same thing's happening for Kaldheim. I remember ban things until Doom Foretold is a problem. Exactly. We already know Cat Chariot's good. We already know Goldspan is good. We've really gotten to see exactly, like, runes. Uh, it's something that we always took second fiddle, basically, is really coming to the forefront. And, you know, it turns out that Kaldheim is just a really busted magic set. Do you think we're going to get a standard 2023? Do you think like, this is something I was looking at over my trip, because why not? You're on a plane. We have a weird thing that's happened with the release schedule. We had five sets last year. It looks like they used that opportunity to just rotate the set release schedule into quarters, because what they used to do, we'd have over the summer, like something like a core set or D&D &D in this case. And then in September, October, we get the rotation in the fall set. And then last year they added the winter set, which was usually our longest time without a set. This year, they're back to four sets, but they have a fourth quarter set, which is the Brothers War. And the fall set rotation is with Dominaria United. That's the September fall set. That means that Streets of New Capenna comes out at the end of April, and we don't get a summer set. 
We get nothing until September and rotation, which means Streets of New Capenna is the last bit of the last stand of Kaldheim and Zendikar Rising and Strixhaven in Standard and Forgotten Realms. We might get a Standard 2023 format launching in like June, July that is only both in Estrad's Neon Dynasty and Streets of New Capenna. Doesn't that format sound really interesting right now? Yeah, that's going to be something. It's going to be a long summer if we don't get that format. I can promise you that. Yeah, I'm looking at it here. So yeah, watsonstandard.com. Great website to go to, by the way. So yeah, legal until quarter three of 2022. Zendikar Rising, Kaldheim, Strixhaven, and D&D. All of those will be gone. Like that was a short existence for that set wow totally well, things are going to look very different i mean with kaldheim being basically the next eldraine i am super excited to see that set leave and just open up whole new swaths of the matter one of the things that i predict with that is i think that you might start to see a lot more like vampires and zombies and stuff in the matter game once that happens because they put a fair amount of juice into those tribes and uh, they really haven't showed up much i even wonder whether we won't start to see like some decayed synergies and show up man it's gonna be kind of slim pickings to fill out some of these archetypes in the meantime buffing venture really didn't age well it's gonna be out it's just gonna be gone <laughs> What the hell were they doing? Did you see they have a venture commander? It's like a zombie venture commander, dude. They just can't let it go. They just can't let it be the dumpster fire failure. It just needs to get swept under the rug, dude. Someone needs to do it. Yeah, you make a really good point. Um, it sounds like a cool format. I hope it's a good format. Uh, honestly, I think it'll be propped up a lot by Kamigawa and Streets of New Kapana because my personal opinion is that both of the Innistrad sets were kind of meh, both in terms of power level and variety of decks that they support, I think are just not really there. I could be missing something. I really want to know how rotation is going to hit alchemy. They introduced like 60-some cards at Alchemy Launch, but clearly a bunch of those are tied to Zendikar and some weird stuff like that, and I don't think they're going to split it up. So I assume they're not going to rotate those cards, but it's going to be weird. That is actually a really good point. I wonder if they'll wait till the next rotation to get those out. And then I also hope when they rotate cards like Luminarch Aspire, they just rebuff it for the sake of Historic. Yeah, that would make sense sure can we take a moment to just talk about the failure that has been alchemy so far we believed you just keep me hanging on i think i said this on the show i know i said it on stream that i really hope they bring in people from other games who are familiar with rebalancing because i became very worried at the very first rebalance when it was like we're gonna make venture a thing now the second rebalance they're like Zombies! In my opinion, this is not the way. This does not get anybody excited to play these sets. This doesn't do it. Trying to make bad decks a little less bad isn't what you were hoping for in a fluid digital format. What you're hoping for is meaningful change that makes cards exciting. And I just feel like they failed. They keep buffing these draft cards, man. I just feel like somebody is checking like the safest possible box when they should be doing something interesting instead. And I think what it highlights is that rather than paying deep attention to the meta game, they're just kind of like picking a theme and buffing it and hoping that it'll get there. I think what we were all hoping for, especially us content creators or the spiky kind of tournament grinders, were hoping that they would take those cards that were 90% of the way there, maybe that rando combo deck that's almost good enough, but not quite. And you just like buff the key card in that deck and all of a sudden you have a deck or you have a workable archetype. And that's what we were all hoping for instead of all of this nonsense making us take another look at cards that we'd already sent off to the exile zone because we knew they'd never be playable. It feels like they're wasting our time. When I read the article, I'm a little like, why? I don't get it. I don't get it either. And I mean, even though it has given us some cool stuff, for example, being able to play Fires again in Historic is really sweet. Some of these Fires decks have actually looked kind of interesting. Maybe they could be like tier three or something like that. Maybe it'll show up and actually be like a player in some really good deck. It's not that nothing good has come from that. I've seen people boarding into Teferi 4, again in Historic, so that card's actually being some kind of a player in the meta game. So I think that some really good stuff can come from it. That's all in Historic for the flagship format of the alchemy thing, which is alchemy. 
they're just not doing that at all. I really gave them a chance with alchemy. You know what? I think wizards, they've known that they've screwed up a lot and they're really going to try to do the right thing with this. And they have made me look so bad. Nope. They're just trying to milk you for wild cards and they're just trying to make a bunch of shitty stuff better. And it's kind of like the worst version of what this format could be. We have supposedly on the 24th or somewhere around there, we're going to get the first Neon Dynasty expansion for Alchemy. And that's going to be the first we've seen since the launch of the format, which launched with like 60 new cards. It's going to be like 30 cards. It's going to be Kamigawa themed. That They could be better at releasing cards than buffing them. I, I would say in general that's been true. I think the cards they released were way better and more interesting than any adjustments they've made to the cards. I think the whole community is... Arms crossed, grumpy, frowny face like, you better bring it. Carmela Soprano over here. <laughs> they should also probably all be uncommons with maybe a couple of rares. So they're going to release their 12 rares, 8 mythics, and 10 uncommons booster set here? Honestly, they should give everybody this expansion. Give us all like 15 packs, you know? Give us all 20 packs. Give us something to be excited about. The packs are a mistake too. It's confusing and weird, and you can't get them. This was something I brought up on day one when they told us about the format in the call I can't talk about. I did bring up what are the rewards going to be. Are these going to be rewards for your dailies? Are they going to be rewards for mastery? Are they going to be rewards for mythic? The, the answer has clearly been no. It's none of that. You can only whale up and get these in the store, and it's confusing. It's hard to understand what you're buying if you're a new player. They shouldn't be packs. They should just have events that you can play to get them. Something like that. It needs a whole makeover the economy side is terrible it has so much potential a lot of content creators went hard on it they were just trusting wizards have got my back on this frankly i get tired of being cynical sometimes i want to be hopeful because i'm just tired of being cynical and i'm tired of being negative i don't want to really bring that attitude into my content if i can help it it feels so bad to like get my hopes up and be like no i'm really gonna trust them this time and then to nope here we are again i just really wish that they would get their digital act together a little bit more and clearly someone's making the decisions. And so I just wish that the decision-making would get a little bit more in line with what players actually want. I sincerely find the format more fun. And I think that all the concept around it, if you ignore the repercussion effects of the economy and historic, it's great if you can stay true to that. If they figured that out, it would be really great. Let people play it for free to cheap something like there, and they'll be more addicted to it than any other format, I think, because it's actually really good and it changes the way that things work. And it's a very different format from standard, which is already kind of a painful format to play for reasons that we already discussed. They might do something. I think we're all at a point where we don't believe that anymore. You only have so long of a window when you introduce something new to get adoption. You right. look at this long list of shelved projects from various companies and it's all because you have a year to make this thing catch on and if it doesn't catch on it is gone mtg legends anyone oh god i was feeling nostalgic for that game the other day it made me really sad i want to play the video game that that was supposed to be what a missed opportunity and again it's one of those things where i'm wizards could you just do it with triple the budget hire the right people, farm it out to the right studio, do whatever you need to do. It's going to be a success. It's going to be profitable. People are going to love it. You have millions of loyal fans who want to buy in. Could you just do it good this time? I agree. I think we covered enough ground this week for the Arena Craft podcast. Thanks for sticking with us, crafties. It's, this next month is going to be an interesting time. We're going to do our best to get through it. I'm going to be following CGB's channel closely for good deck ideas that might be able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe in the meta and at least have some kind of redeeming fun in them. It's going to be great. Just tell it like it is, man. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be mind-blowing. You're going to want to hear all about it right here on Arena Craft Podcast next week. Lock it in, baby. And with that, let's call it a wrap. You can find this show on Covert Go Blue's YouTube channel. You can listen to us on Spotify. You can take us on the road with you with your favorite podcast app of choice. 
you can catch Covert Go Blues almost daily and sometimes impromptu streams on twitch.tv. You can catch my usually around the weekend streams also on twitch.tv. I want to thank all of our patrons. You guys are awesome. I wanted to let you know that for our top tier patrons, I have a little something in the works. This is uh, an exciting little project, which I'm not even going to tell you about Covert Go Blue. You'll, you'll be part of the rollout. You, you, have, you have that to look forward to. It's a date with me, CGV. I am required to be in such and such location at such and such an hour. Congratulations. You'll get your tickets in the mail soon, Covert Go Blue. <laughs> Uh, I'd love to see the look on your face, man. I should have done it just for that alone. <laughs> anyway, that's Arjuna out. Later, crafties.